You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, you got a... You have a grin on your face that's not a happy grin. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I don't know. You have a look on your face that, you know how you smile at someone before yep. you hit them? <laughs> You've got that look on your face this morning. Uh, I got nothing against you, Bracken. This is not, this is not directed towards you. It's unintentional. Um, no, I wanted to start with a little bit of a rant, Bracken. I think it's time. You think it's time? I don't care what it's about. I just think it's time <laughs> for a rant. Listen, listen, people. We, um... We had one of my dear friends and business partners, Stephen Menya, on the podcast on Friday. And I will say, and Bracken, you can probably back me up on this. It was probably one of the most eye-opening interviews we have done and possibly the most, I don't know, enlightening interview and perspective interview that we've done since we started this podcast. Do you agree? It was the best story we've had yet. I agree. And that's no offense to anyone else. This is just the best story we've had. Yeah. Um, granted, the audio was a little shifty, but that was out of our control. And I went and I looked at the downloads for this episode this morning, and I was very disappointed. I was very disappointed in people that listen to our podcast. <laughs> You're not supposed to call out your listeners, but you know what? What bothered me is that we we choose our guests for a reason, right? There's something there when we have somebody on our podcast, and unfortunately, and I understand the trap that people fall into is if they see a Ryan Atkins or a Hunter McIntyre or a big name that they're invested in, they're more likely to click and listen. Um, but that doesn't mean that people you don't know aren't worth listening to either. And it's just like an episode that needs to be heard. And it has the lowest amount of downloads we've had in recent history. And it's disappointing. It's disappointing that people will skip over it because they don't know the guest. And we're not that kind of podcast anymore, are we, Bracken? We're looking to bring in people that you don't know that you can get something from. Yeah. And it's not even close. Uh, this is the lowest downloads we've had ever. In our over the first weekend of listening, mm -hmm. we're like a thousand beats lower than we should be right now. About maybe a little less, but yep. And it's it's disappointing because only one of two things happened: people either looked at the name and said, "I don't know it," skip, or they looked at the picture and said, "I don't like it," skip. Yep. Neither one's good. One says you don't trust us. The other says something deeper about you. So mm -hmm. I don't want to call too much out here, but the fact is that um, if if there was one episode, I'd say start with this one because it'll get you hooked on the show. It would be Steven. Yeah. And and people decided to pass it up. Listen, there's a lot of media out there and people are free to do and choose what they would like. And I understand the investment in an athlete they already know and wanting mm -hmm. to hear more from them. So clicking on that episode over somebody they don't know. But telling you what, guys, if you plan on listening to us for a while, like we're going to do a lot more of this. We are not just, you know, A-list name grabbers. And we're trying very hard to bring you content that is like fulfilling and that uh, gives you perspective outside of our own blinders in this mm -hmm. sport. And so I was really excited about that interview. I thought it went, I, I was actually, you know, grinning the whole time listening to him. It's very endearing. 
um, gave me a broader understanding of the African culture and the distance running and coming over and the struggles and the, oh man, it was just a great interview. Anyways, so that is my very mini rant. Just quit, quit picking and choosing. Just yeah. trust us. Just freaking trust us. We've used the one-year trust factor thing once before, where we said we did not offer you anything for sale for a year to build trust. Well, now we've done a year of episodes. Mm -hmm. Take it on faith that this guy's worth listening to. Tell you what, Kirk, my mom listened to this on back-to-back -back days. I have a couple people who listen to it twice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Should I, I listen to it and then I had to listen to it again, knowing what I knew to listen to it all the way through again. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time she's done that. Man. And then just listening to his stories... It's like the privilege I have, like every morning I go into work and um, and I take for granted at times, like what this dude has been through to get here and have such a, a beautiful family, a successful life. Anyways, so I'm a little biased here with my disgruntledness, I would say, because it's a guy I really admire, appreciate. But anyways, what did I say to you as soon as we stopped recording? You said it was your favorite interview, I think. I said, now the end was choppy because we lost connection, but the first three quarters was the best thing we've ever had. Yeah, I do wish the audio was was a little cleaner, but that's okay. Yeah. So, anyways, it was disappointing to see that the, the product I was most proud of is the one that people decided <laughs> to not try. Yeah, I think we've spoken our piece, haven't we? End of rant. End of end of rant. How are you doing this week? Actually, I do have one question. My biggest burning question out of that whole interview was, how did it take you a year to say, "Hey, you know who we should talk to next"? How did it take a year to bring Stephen on if you talk to him every day? You know, you know, when things are so close to you that you don't see it, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like we can't get our, out of our own way as coaches because we're too familiar with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of those things. And Stephen adamantly despises running today. <laughs> and so I, you know, when I initially brought this up to him like six or eight months ago, I said, Hey, he was very excited to talk about chiropractic and the, the care piece. And I was like, listen, Stephen, we're going to want to talk about like the real deal here. You're running. So I think that's why I skimmed over it. Okay. Well, Good question. All's forgiven. How you doing this? How you doing this week, Bracken? Good. I am physically beat up and mentally locked in. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you tell them about your uh, your workout you did on Saturday? We're a week out, guys, from Jacksonville. We're less than a week out. If you haven't figured it out, this is a preview episode that we're going to get into. So we're going to talk some details. We're going to talk some players and some shakers and some movers and some race tactics and what to expect. If or if not, I will be there. I am not sure yet. All that good stuff. So Bracken, how'd that workout go? Well, I'm going to step back one step further and reiterate that what we say is that you can't change your fitness a week out. So seven, eight, nine days out from the race, really all you have left is two quality days, probably. Once you're seven days out, you have a, your last big workout and then your last tune-up workout. And those can't change your fitness. And so I approach that as their mental workouts. So I need to choose the workouts that will have me most mentally dialed in for race day. And so I had planned to do a carry transition run workout on Saturday. And then we got the memo from Spartan. We need to talk about that, by the way. Yeah. I don't think people know, but continue. What, nine days out from a race, they decided to say, hey, we're not going to have some of these obstacles in the race. Continue. I'm going to pull up the exact okay. uh, wording. One of those obstacles was a heavy carry. I've done a lot of carry work. And so it just didn't seem like it was the best use of my time to mentally prepare for something I wasn't even going to have to do. So I switched, I pivoted to a five point like three mile tempo run on the roads, which on surface level has nothing to do with Jacksonville. However, everything that Kirk and I have talked about with each other leading up to this is that I was trying to match my 20, my spring 2018 training. 
where I was coming off of a, a little issue in my legs and lower back and I didn't have base. And so I just went all in on compromised running and quality. And I went out and had really the last big race that I've won against quality, quality, like world level competition. So I knew that that training worked, but the piece I was missing from this is that I haven't done any road tempos. By the way, if anybody hasn't watched that race, it was pre-City Field in 2018, I believe, right? And you and Ryan Kempson have an epic battle off on the infield. I, I think that race is out there. If you guys want something to do while you're like cross-training this week, go watch City Field 2018, the most stacked field, and our boy Bracken Cracker smashed him and outkicked Ryan Kempson for the win. Don't sleep on Bracken Cracker. Continue. Well, I was able to make it a half hour that day. At 28 minutes, I started to crumble, but I had re- I had taken the lead by that point. And then Kempson reeled me back in, passed me on the infield, and I was able to do one box jump station and sprint to the finish slightly faster. But I made it 28 minutes off that fitness. So I knew that type of training I could get to Jacksonville with similar fitness, but I have left a lot of the threshold workout. I've done three threshold workouts in eight weeks. Mm-hmm. The rest has all been really intense. So I wanted to go back to my five mile route and run the exact tempo route that I had been running in 2018, because I know my interval work, my top end speed is better than it was then because I'm doing more of it. I know that my transition work and compromise work and circuit work is as good because I'm hitting the same times in workouts. So the only missing piece is what is my stamina like? And this is a five-ish mile route. And so it's around 30 minutes. So I wanted to go out there and just mentally prove to myself, if I'm anywhere close to what I had for stamina then, then I have as good or better fitness. And so I went out and I did that route. And? And I was 56 seconds faster. With less perceived exertion. Yeah, yeah. I, that The last time I did it, I brought it home. And this time I kept the same effort throughout the whole time. So I felt good. And the stride issues I've been working on, I was able to hold together for the whole five miles. And there was a little over 100 feet of vert per mile. And I was able to handle hills, even though I'm not doing hill work. So it was it was exactly what I needed. It was the confidence booster I needed heading in. But my quads are trash because I haven't touched concrete since December. <laughs> yeah, we'll be ready for that sloppy running, Bracken. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and Bracken, you're a man who knows your fitness. And I, I, I haven't heard you in personal conversation as confident as I've heard you in the last month, I will say. Um, that's best case scenario for you, brother. Like coming off of seven months without running, two knee surgeries, and here you are the week of Jacksonville sitting here going, I might be onto something right now. That's yeah. pretty powerful, dude. Yeah. Mentally, I'm back to the point where I was a few years ago where it's like, you know what? Anyone who beats me is just better than me. Like you're going to have to be better than me to beat me. And that that's where I feel, you know, who knows what happens race day, but I have the confidence to know I can go out and execute as well as, as anyone right now. And if they beat me, then they're just better and you can't control that. Yeah. It'll be interesting when you feel that real true race sting for the first time and myself included. Like oh, yeah. there's, a, there's another, another level to that, that you got to be ready to take that punch. You know, I want to read, um, the racing during COVID-19, what you need to know, the, uh, released by Spartan, which, I'm guessing some of you are aware of and some of you are not. Um, This wasn't released publicly yet on like their Instagram or anything, but basically I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. It says, well, we'd love to jump right back into how things were. Let's be honest. It's not going to happen for a while. We're optimistic, but in the meantime, we've made some changes. Consider high touch obstacles like the carries, sandbag, farmers, and bucket, as well as any water obstacles off limits. 
Until the CDC publishes more on COVID-19's behavior in water, we're not taking the risk. So in the spirit of caution, those obstacles will be replaced in favor of safer, but still grueling challenges. How do you interpret that, Bracken? First of all, no carries in Jacksonville. And I got a, I got a bunch of strong, tough guys that I'm coaching that are a little disappointed about this, and rightfully so. Um, no carries, guys. Well, that was quickly followed up by Matt Davis issuing a retraction, saying, I'm sorry, that wasn't full final copy. They're getting rid of sandbag, but maybe not bucket. Okay. And you're still going to go through the water of the lake, but you're not going to do rolling mud or dunk wall. Yeah, which is what I figured. It's kind of in between. Um, I don't like it simply not because of the concerns, but because of the logic behind the concerns. If sandbag is too high touch point, what is a yeah. monkey bar? Exactly. Because every person touches the monkey bar, but only every what? A sandbag is used by one person while 50 other go through and then gets removed. So each sandbag actually has a significantly lower touch, shared touch point than everything else. So um, water, sure. Yeah, take out Dunkwall. Rolling mud, I I don't know. I don't know if I get that, but I'm sure uh, it'll be rolling I'm sure it'll be rolling mud. Yeah. Just so I don't mud. I don't love it, but selfishly, if they do replace it with grueling challenges like they say, what's that gonna be? Burpee, burpee broad jump, lunges, something like that. But now that gets into stadium territory, which certainly helps me. They're going to have to make, if that is the case, they're going to have to make some um, technique releases and uh, station standards yeah. pre-race. And everybody's going to have to be very in the know. Um, I believe it would help me as well, to be honest. If they make <laughs> us do 20 burpees at a station, like that stuff's right on my wheelhouse. If they make us do walking lunges knee to the ground or back and forth across the circuit, I think that only helps us. However, um, and the carries are so generally, uh, other than last year, I think it did open the race up a little bit. A lot of times the carries are trivial in a race. Um, and they like to do this damn thing where they give us like three foot wide bucket or sandbag carry with all these weaves in it where you really can't create gaps anyways. Like the bucket carry was trivial last year because it was so tight and so turny. Mm -hmm. Like you never really could use your fitness. So who knows what they'll do. Be interesting to see. I, I think they should make the outline of the helmet. If you want to do it, that's great. But make it an inside track. Or instead of making it a lane, just make it a track where you have as much space, let's say, to the left of it to move around people as you want. But you have to get around the, yep. the inside lane. But whatever. Uh, anyways, the my biggest issue I have with it is that it came out nine days before the race. Yeah. Terrible two-mile workout you've been doing and probably prescribing isn't going to quite pay off now, huh? I, I still probably would do it because the compromise aspect of that is so huge. But uh, I don't know. It's... It's it doesn't seem logical, but we'll see how it goes. I'm happy just to have a race, but yeah, it certainly changed the last nine days of my training plan. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see if uh, what they release this week in regards to like start time, start corral etiquette, mm -hmm. um, all of that. Uh, I, I know if you noticed, you know, you and I did not make the top ten who's going to podium list that Spartan um, laid out yesterday. Are they going to stage us potentially? because we're being counted out are we not going to be in the front for example if they choose to stadium style it are they going to let us all go off in a mass start i don't know yeah um i'm just very curious if they're going to address any of that or not that that was what i was thinking too if they make it time trial style it's really going to change the race but i will die on this hill if you time trial you cannot mass start time trial waves of 10 is not time trialing those are mini races 
because the purpose of time trial is to get a free run at the course, only worrying about yourself and your effort. When mm -hmm. you start a mass of 10 or 12 or 15 or 20, which is what they do in stadiums, then it's confusing because mm -hmm. you have to still get to choke points. You still get to obstacles and walls and you're forced to go out to the side where if you start one person or even two people every 10 to 15 seconds, there aren't choke points like that because mm -hmm. you ever only ever see one or two people at a time. And so it really changes it from time trialing to time trial slash racing. And it's really, really strange. So I just don't like that. Second is that since you and I have, um, have been forgotten or, or whatever the case may be, if we're not considered their top 10 and we don't make that first wave, that's disappointing. Correct. When was the last time you were outside the top 10 in U.S. National Series race? Jacksonville last year. <laughs> what were you? I was 11th. I had, had a poor showing yet. Outside of that? Mm, can't what remember. were you at Jacksonville the year before? Fourth. What were you at Alabama? Another similar course to this. Eighth or ninth. Okay. Yeah. When was the last time I was outside the top 10 at a U.S. National Series race? Can't think of one. I don't think ever. Uh-huh. So anyways, you're going to have a lot of people vying for that opening wave and someone's going to get left, left off. And there's going to be 10 other people just like you and I who could all say, hey, I've never been outside the top 10. I deserve to be. And there's just, it's, it, it, it's going to, which is why it has to be either everyone starts at once or you do real time trial, but they're not going to do that. No, they won't. I, I, I see waves or just mass start. I, I'm sure that either way, they might just stagger us or separate us in the corral or try to a little bit, but whatever. How do you feel about, um, how do you feel about being left off the favorites list on uh, Spartan's Instagram post? I, I mean, you know me, I save every single receipt. Uh -huh, yeah. I, I, I just am always on the search for chips for my shoulder. So I love it. And at the same time, I deserve it. I didn't race last year. Nobody really did. I didn't go to Jacksonville. Prior to that, I didn't go to the three previous national series races. And I'm like kind of borderline blackballed by Spartan. Blackballed's a, a dramatic term, but I haven't received a single piece of communication. I was just talking to Matt Davis this morning since February 27th of 2020. Not an wow. email, not an update. Like I'm off the list. The updates that people get, I don't get those anymore. Uh, people don't reply to my messages. I, like I, after that Spartan protest thing, I took the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Who are the people that were speaking out? Nicole, Robert Killian, myself, Ryan Kempson. Woodsy. Woodsy. Who's the expendable person in that situation? The two world champions are not going to be expendable. Yeah. Uh, Woods is good enough that he's, and he has Spartan sponsors. Ryan Kempson marches to the beat of his own drum. And so I'm, and I was injured and underperforming. So I'm, I get why I'm the one who's the odd man out there, but it does not, uh, it doesn't help my case and things like this. So yeah, I'm, I'm going like, I, I didn't get any in information on Spartan cross. I won't get invited to that. I, those type of things, those doors are closed for me now. Mm -hmm. And so I won't be on this list and that's, that's okay to me, but just add some stoke to the fire. What was that? Um, that operation you had a couple of years with Ryan Kent, Operation Let Him Know. Let Him Know. Let Him Know. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling the same way if I tell the line. Yeah. So how did you feel about not being a person to watch? Um, Fine. I, if, if Spartan, you know, I haven't received any communication from Spartan either. I'm okay. never invited to the cool things. Um, for some reason, I'm still like a B-lister, which is fine. Um, if they're paying attention and know that my situation and coming off injury and da-da-da, sure. But they don't pay attention. They don't know. 
uh, last year's I was ninth and then sixth in the U.S. National Series. I've showed up. I've been top ten most of all my races. Um, you know, they like to they like to grab what's hot, right? And I, I think they just looked at the finishers from last year. They got Magida in their back pocket. They got Josiah McDougal. Is that how do you say his last name? Medal. Medal. Um, he's one of their boys. After I'm excited uh, to watch him. Spartan Games. I don't know much about him. Um, I'm fine. I mean, if you look at my phone, if I pull out my phone right now and I show you my photos, well, now I don't have it, but I mean, it's screenshot right here, that list without my name on it. And what the fuck do you think I'm going to be looking at on the plane ride to Jacksonville? Exactly. That's all I need is that fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel fine about it. Totally fine about it. And, and I'm going to insert the disclaimer here. This isn't us coming on here to rail against it. This is insight into the mind of what someone does on race week, how they mentally approach their race week. The best thing for my race was to not put me on that list. Yeah. <laughs> so. High-level athletes are going to show up in race no matter what, but they are going to turn around and look for every possible slight against them that they can use as motivation. You know, every single person is doing it. Yep, 100%. The guys that were listed on that list are looking through the comments and finding the people who didn't pick their name as the winner and they're screenshotting that. So this is this is what people do to get themselves rubbed up prior. So before we move on, Josiah. Mm-hmm. Josiah Middow is a 14-time Xterra U.S. national champ. Xterra is um, off-road triathlon, yep. lake swim, mountain bike, trail run. He's a world champion at Xterra. He is a, he's been a U.S. snowshoe national champion. And he came out for one Spartan race ever. He came to Spartan World Championships the first year in Texas when it was a super. And he ran stride for stride with Hobie Call for five miles. Wow. Through the obstacles, they both both missed their spear. This was the worst spear I've ever seen in my life. We swam probably 100 meters across a lake, maybe 42 degrees out, freezing. We got out of that, went through rolling mud, then went down into a, a mud pit with water that you had to climb a rope up out of, got out of that and went to the spear throw. Now this was Sunday, last wave of the day was the world championship. So it had rained all weekend and 5,000 people had gone through it. So it was just a mud bath. So you were caked, freezing and soaked when you got to the spear throw. And it was so muddy, you couldn't move your feet to step into your throw because you'd slipped too much. So it was just a stationary throw gripping a spear that was coated in mud. So they both missed their spear. Mm. And he matched him burpee for burpee. All the way through. This would be when Hobie was racing a lot and very tenured, so to speak. And this is Josiah's first race. So you're racing an experienced Hobie at that. Yep. And he got off the burpees, like one or two burpees behind him. And then at that point, Hobie started to pull away from him. But he made it up all the way through that point with him. And he was really impressive to watch. So he's later in his career now. He went and did Spartan games and got exposed on grip strength on Spartan cross. But Spartan Cross is a different animal. So anyways, I'm excited to watch him race. I think at a super distance, he'd be nasty. How old is he? He's late 30s, I think. I'd guess 38 or 39, but I'm not sure. Now we have what Leon Kofit as well coming over from uh, Denmark, mm-hmm. which is uh, which will be interesting as well, won't it? Yeah, all these unknowns, men's and women's side that we haven't watched a race in person very often. I know you raced him, but or you raced his teammate, one of the two. Yeah, he raced the sprint the next day, which I did not. So I raced Nikolai Dom. Mm. Yeah. Let's um let's do this, Bracken. Let's talk about the course, the race strategy, all that, and then let's talk about players and, and all that stuff. How does that sound? I like it. Before we get ahead of ourselves. So 
What's a glaringly obvious thing that we learned last year? Well, I was there, but you watched it on TV. What would you say the glaringly obvious thing takeaway was? As maybe as 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 yeah, just a spectator last year. What was the obvious thing that made the difference in this race? Obstacles and transitions mattered. Right when we thought all that didn't matter anymore and Spartan race was getting soft on us, it made a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I wasn't there, and I think that gives me a different perspective. <clears throat> well, I will tell you that last year. You know, this year, the weather looks considerably better, by the way. It looks like we have a dry week leading up. It looks like, you know, last year there was a little mist. The obstacles were wet. Like I went and grabbed monkey bars and had to do a second take and hang on for dear life. Like it was a wet, gross course last year. Um, but that that actually made the biggest difference, in my opinion, is just like the, the, the status of each obstacle was just a little bit compromised. I think things, if it if the weather holds up, might be a little cleaner this year. Jacksonville has a way, I don't know if you remember, but two years ago in 2019, um, it has a way of still having that misty dew in the morning, maybe with the humidity and stuff. I don't know if you recall, but some Mm -hmm. of those obstacles got slick. And then last year, again, they were slick as well. Um, I mean, the monkey bars literally had water dripping off of them, but there was no rain. This was all condensation. Granted, it was a little colder and there was some, I think that had part to do with it, but um, there's a good chance that just the weather down there is going to warrant slick. So that's something you got to think about right away. Watching it, I was blown away by the speed that some people were putting down in between the obstacles. People were not running hard. They were racing, attacking every Mm -hmm. flat. Kempson in particular. Kempson, VJ, Mm -hmm. Brian Atkins came off of every obstacle hot. Mm -hmm. Some of those transitions were just very, very impressive to watch. If we if we look at uh, like historically what Spartan does is they typically take a course and they run it like in the reverse order the next year. So I could be wrong here, but two years ago we went through the motocross moguls and everything on the dry dirt first, and then we got back into the swampy stuff. We finished with a swim on the way in and then pounded home in that same lake we swam in last year. This next year we ended in the moguls or whatever you call those things. Mm-hmm. Moguls, um, yeah. Started in the water. So if I were a betting man. I would be betting that they're going to start us through the moguls. We're going to get that little quick up and down, which actually created separation. If you remember two years ago, it created separation yes, it pretty quick. Um, and they'll run us to reverse order again. So speculated, like who knows, but it's just, if history repeats itself, that's what they tend to do. Yeah. Um, I don't see them putting us in the swim right away. Um, like last year, that was like a fun little thing they tried. I doubt that's going to happen again. I think they're going to want the race to open up early. Um, so that's where I think you can expect from the start. Again, speculation, but I, I put my paycheck on it. Okay. And I haven't been trying to guess. I've been just looking at it that there are three pieces to this course. There is the water, there is the nasty terrain, and then there is the motocross course. Mm-hmm. And you're either going to hit it beginning, middle, or end. You'll hit all three, yeah. And so at some point, you're going to hit one of those three when tired. So you're either going to be running in the sloppiest when you're most tired, on the hilliest when you're most tired, or through the water when you're the most tired. And the other two are going to set up that most tired. And it really depends. If you hit the motocross early, you don't really feel it until after. If you hit the motocross in the middle, that's the end of you feeling good in the race. And if you hit it at the end, it's just survival trying to get up and down those hills when you're trying to get to the finish fast, but you're exhausted. Same thing with the water. You hit it early and people are lunging through it and jumping and talking to each other and regrouping. Mm-hmm. If you hit it in the middle, people are attacking. And if you get it at the end, people are just surviving. Yep. And if you haven't raced there before, that water's, uh, in my experience, not deep enough to swim through. It's like that awkward 
like depth where you have to kind of like scuttle across deep. Yeah. It's like, it's not efficient enough to swim. So you have to like kind of just plow through it and stay on your feet. That, that year, were you in range or you ahead of me already by the time we got to the water in Jacksonville? I was ahead. I was reeling in Kent. I even, I even was back. That was an out and back swim. Yeah. I had my eyes on Woodsy and Atkins even there. Okay. So I had Newell behind me and Brian Gowiski just ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny and a couple people right in there. And I went into it and I dolphin dove as far as I could. Where yeah. you stand up and dive and stand up and dive. And I kept going and I kept going. And I looked forward and back and I hadn't gained any ground on people, but I'd used a ton of energy. So it was just deep enough that dolphin diving didn't work and just shallow enough that you didn't want to swim it. So the way back, then I just stood up and, and walked to catch my breath. That whole lake, I think, is literally like three to four feet deep. Yeah. It's just like a shallow pond with very firm, sandy bottom. It's very bizarre. Like it's like for Jacksonville, you'd think there'd be crocs and and turtles in there ready to snap your legs off. But it feels like like kind of like a beach underneath. It's mm-hmm. kind of nice, actually. Um, here's my take on it. All you all of you that that care about your performance here. My guess is if you're traveling during a pandemic spending the money and time to go down there. You probably care about your performance, I'm assuming. Um, biggest lesson learned last year um, is the race is going to go out hotter hotter than it even should for a 5K if you're mm-hmm. racing the U.S. National Series race. So expect that. Um, you know, Be prepared to put in 30 seconds in the beginning to keep yourself in position if you're really fighting for the top spots. And once those gaps got created last year and they got created early um, – the, the race wasn't long enough to really make those up. If you look at the shifting of positions after the first five minutes of this race last year, not, I mean, they, they fought amongst themselves up front, let's call it right. Um, getting gapped in this, in this race is a death sentence. If you are looking to perform well, podium, whatever your goal is, um, there's just not enough real estate to make it up in my opinion. So being aggressive, early is going to be rewarded in the sense that, you know what, if you blow up, so what? At least you can come home and say, I set myself up and I tried. But if you get spit out the back early, I just don't see it being made up on this course. There's not enough in the way. There's just not enough in the way. So that's just my opinion. What do you think? I agree on that. I think that it's short enough that gaps are really tough to overcome, especially on this terrain, because it's hard to get rolling on this terrain. You can make up a gap on a nasty terrain carry if you're good on that. You can make up a gap on a crawl if you're good on that. But it's not like you can just make up 30 seconds out of nowhere because it's too short. But it's also just long enough that you can blow up. Here's the thing about this course, though. It's not technical. It's not technical at all. If you consider sloppy, sticky, gunky running technical, Sure, but you're not going left and right and back and forth. And even in the gunky mud that's up to your ankles, you can get into a rhythm. It's still rhythm running. This course is rhythm running. There's no climbs, descents, technical switchbacks. And so what that means is like those gaps just aren't going to open up as quick and be closed as quickly. You all know what like a big downhill or a big uphill can do. It can blow the field wide open, but there's just not that here. There just is not. And in a sprint, if the obstacles are dry, nobody that you're competing against is going to fail anything, but maybe the spear throw. It's just not going to happen. If it's wet, different story. People were failing things last year, but, um, so you just got to keep all that in mind. I, I was told by my college coach, we talked about that. He didn't do a lot of tactics, but the one thing he always talked about was you only get two matches to burn in an 800 and in a mile, you get two matches. So you start out fast and that's free. 
And then once you settle in, you have two matches and one of them better be your finish. So you basically get one move in a race in an 800 or a mile, one. If you make more than that, you're not going to have your match left for the final lap. Yeah. And I look at a race like this, like you maybe have three matches to burn. You get three in OCR, I think. You can usually pick one of the carries and work it really hard. You get one on an obstacle, a crawl or something that you're really going to hammer. And then you get one on a run. So you get three matches to burn. And if you burn more than that, when I say burn a match, I mean exceed your maintainable pace where you're actually trying to make a move that you know you can't keep very long, but just for tactics. So three is about the number I put on an OCR race. I like In that. a lot of OCR races, you want to backload those matches. You look at Tahoe, you're going to want to burn a match on a carry. You're going to want to burn a match on a downhill. You want to burn a match on the final climb. Mm -hmm. In a race like this, these matches might have to be spent to stay in contact in the first half of the race because you might get to the second half of the race and your matches are soaked. People are so far out of reach and you're so tired from fighting that you can't just like rip these matches off, burn them and catch back up. They're just not effective anymore. So coming off the first obstacle when the race takes off again, you might have to burn one. Last year it was coming out of the water. People had to burn a match just to stay in it. And then getting to that sandbag carry last year in the mud, you had to burn a match there or your race was done. And then coming off the spear, you had to burn another match. So by the time people got to the motocross course at the end, no one had matches left, but the race was already played out. Now it was, you just get to reap what you sowed in the first half. So how you spend your matches in this race might have to be a little earlier than you normally would. I agree with that. A classic example of that last year would be Kempson, who had a great race. He burnt a match catching up to VJ. I mean, mm -hmm. he closed that gap in hindsight way too quickly. Yep. Then he got behind on Atkins, closed that gap on Atkins, like a, like a five or plus second gap. He closed that within a quarter mile. And when it came to the end, when we hit the moguls, he got stuck on the rig with Woodsy basically and got past. I mean, he dangled there because he was he burned all his matches. Mm -hmm. Luckily for him, Woodsy's uh, Herkois got stuck on the bar and Kempson was able to pass him, but Kempson took fourth place in that race if it wasn't for the Woodsy right. He had burnt too many matches too early. Um, granted, aggressive racer, much respect for his style, but nonetheless, that's a that's an example of what you're saying. Yeah, He burnt them, and he had none left, and it worked out for him, luckily, to still stay on the podium, but it probably shouldn't have. Well, it, but in this, this style of short course, it's almost safer sometimes. Now, he, he burnt them too early. But by burning them so early, he created a gap that even once he was shot, he was still in a position to get a podium. And so he was he was there, whereas there were other people who were finishing fast but didn't have time. So in a super, that would have been a kiss of death. In Jacksonville, you can gamble and roll the dice a little bit with how you use your matches. Yeah, I agree with that. What did you, let's say that you had just felt better last year. Mm -hmm. Where did you not burn that you should have burned or where did you burn that you shouldn't have? Um, I'm not even able to answer that because, okay. you know, one of those days when you're, you're five minutes into the race and you're like, I'm already just hanging on, mm -hmm. like it's not my day. It was one of those days. So like my matches, I, my matches were already wet before I got to the, <laughs> before I got into the race, uh, unfortunately. So I, I don't know. I, there was nowhere to be honest. Here's where you can't burn it. So you have your initial sprint out the, uh, the gate. And science will tell you that your phosphocreatin bonds that you burn can give you up to 20 seconds of essentially free energy. You can yep. be super anaerobic there, but it doesn't ding your tank yet. So you get those first 15 to 20 seconds out hard, and then you start settling in. You can't burn one right there. 
if as you start settling in, you fire off that first match to surge again, that will kill you. Mm. If you wait two more minutes and burn one, for some reason, there is a drastic difference in that burning. Yep. And I, I don't exactly know why, if it's more mental or more physical or just that combination of both, but you can't burn a match in the first quarter to half mile. I agree. I'd like everyone to wait like four to five minutes before they think about burning their first match, ideally. Mm. Um, yeah, it just depends. You got to know your competition. You do. And some matches have to be burned tactically. Yep. You look in the water, Aaron Newell and Ryan Atkins burnt a match in the water last year. Yep. Because it took them from eighth or fifth or whatever into first. And I'll tell you what, to, to make that move in the water, if it is happened to be that same scenario, bide your time in that water. If you're in a big group, it is not worth the extra expenditure. And the same goes for really trashy, muddy running. That is the last time you should be pushing because your return on investment is very low. The harder you work, it's like the the less you're propelled. So it's one of those things where you try to, you know, you hit a muddy patch and you sustain. And then as soon as you get some footing again, you go. But I just find in that muddy, shitty stuff that your, your return on investment isn't the same. Just like your dolphin diving, that return mm-hmm. on investment wasn't the same. I don't know if you agree with that or not. but Yeah, I, I equate those to steep hills. The worse the terrain is, the deeper the water and the mud, it's, it's like a steeper hill where you can attack the beginning of the hill or the end of the hill, and it does different things for you. If you attack the beginning of the water or the beginning of a hill, halfway through, it compounds, and now you can't even finish off how you normally would have. But if you attack the second half of a hill or the second half of the water moving towards it, now you bring momentum with you. And each step gets a little shallower, and then people are playing catch up. But attacking the first half of the water sets you up to have a bad second half. You know, I remember um, in Seattle in 2018, uh, which is one of my first good races on the U.S. National Series, I was in a battle with... um, Angel Quintero, Glenn Race, uh, myself, and Killian. We were all running by each other in Seattle. And it was a real wet year. It was downpouring. I don't think mm-hmm. you raced there that nope, year. I did not. Um, ended up having sort of a sprint finish with Woodsy. Granted, he failed a bunch of shit, but whatever. Details, right? But anyways, we went through these patches of, of that rolling farmland, and it was just soaked and muddy and gross. And every time we hit that, Angel Quintero would go flying by me, right? And as soon as we got, and as soon as we got to dry terrain, I reeled him back in in a millisecond. His breathing was so labored, and 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 he was working for every breath. And I went by and made up twice of what he put on me because he just was burning a match in that sloppy stuff. And then I end up going and beating him by thirty or forty seconds. And I honestly think it was all because he was surging in the crap and his his return on. And I was I was choosing not to go with him, and then using my energy when it was more efficient. So. I've experienced that firsthand. Um, granted, if the whole course is a mess, it's a different story. But if I if it, if it is dry all week, I know you're on, on Spartan's social media, you're seeing all the water and the slop and all the Jacksonville's a mud fest. And it is. But if you recall, I mean, there is a lot of dry running on this course, even in a wet year that you're not seeing on social media. So you yeah. can strike there. Yeah, you spend a lot of time in the wet, but you spend a lot of distance on the dry. Yes, I exactly. And the shorter the race, the more important it is to smooth the race out because you're tempted to rev everything. But it's more about choosing what is my maximum sustainable rate plus my few matches and and you burn at that level. So hitting a mud pit and accelerating 
well, that's that's not equivalent to hitting the flat and accelerating. And it's finding that what is my nine out of 10 effort for all of those rather than a 10 and an eight. Yeah, I was going to add this. You know, for the fastest males and females last year, we're hovering in the 30 minute range. So I know we're telling you to go out hot, put yourself in position, all that. I really hope we don't see a field now just sprinting all out for the first two minutes because of our, our spiel here. But you want to get out engaged, not hot. engaged, relaxed, but fast still. Um, anyways, it's a 30 minute race, guys. So the caveat to what we're saying is this is a 30 minute race at best, most likely longer for most of you, probably twice as long for a lot of you. Like a five cam paper sounds very trivial, but it is not. So like you have to manage your effort still in that way, a 30 minute race. Just don't forget that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think the best rule of thumb you can have for a race is to set a time somewhere between five and 15 minutes, depending on your race style. If you're a slow twitch versus a fast twitch and say, like for me, let's say it's usually seven minutes right around there, five, six, seven, eight minutes, somewhere in that range. That is my point where I get to start racing. Up until that point, my goal is to stay in contact. After that point, I can start burning matches. Yep. But I have that goal of I have to be relaxed and in contact through seven minutes. And maybe it's not a minute range. Maybe it's an obstacle. Maybe it's saying I have to get to Z-Wall intact. I have to be able to make a move at Z-Wall. If I get to Z-Wall already dead, I've done myself a disservice. And so 30 minutes is still an elite 10K. Yeah. 10K is a lot of time to make moves. And your your race isn't won in your first mile, but it can be lost there. And the same thing happens for OCR. You can burn out too soon. You can get gapped too soon, but you can't win the race in mile one. I'm looking up um, another point I want to touch on. I'm not ignoring your bracket. I'm looking up the weather real quick. Okay. I've looked yeah. up the weather, Kirk. Uh, I got real-time data right in front of me. Go ahead. Hold it on. But we're past the rain of what's projected for guaranteed rain. There might be some rain that pops up, but it's supposed to be relatively dry heading in, unless that's changed overnight. This it's sunny all week with very low chance of rain. Do you see what the weather just did, Bracken? Saturday, a high of 78. Sunday, race day, a high of 80. 65 for a low. So I was just going to give you a spiel about not being, even though it's Florida, not being a knucklehead standing there in your compression shirt and tights, freezing your ass off in the morning because you think it's Florida and it's going to be warm. Well, shit, Bracken, it looks like it's Florida and it's going to be warm. <laughs> Even at 730. I mean, right now the low is 65 on Sunday and 63 on Saturday. So we're going to be racing in the mid to upper 60s for first wave. Last year, it was like 41 degrees. Yeah. 43 degrees. It was cold. So you guys can think about that. Um, I was literally going to give you a spiel about warming up properly and making sure you're good to go and bringing the right clothes. But I'm throwing that speech out the window. Look at that. You at know, the- Because it's a Spartan race, I'm still bringing all my clothes. You never know. Until race morning, I won't trust that it's not going to be miserable. I mean, even if this forecast is off, I think the worst case scenario is going to be 55 or 60 at start time in the morning. So um, the one thing I will say, though, that I still wanted to to preach about is in a shorter race, um, the whole warm-up becomes uh, significantly more important. You don't have time to work into this. And in a race where you need to be aggressive, that means actually doing some running one, two miles worth of work without a problem, hitting hard surges. Bracken and I talked about this uh, off mic this weekend after we touched base about our last big workouts on Saturday, um, putting in some hard efforts in your warmups, not being afraid to do one to two to three minutes of work in your warmup where you're getting your heart rate up to 170 even and feeling that sting a little bit. 
that way when the gun goes off, it's not the first time you're feeling it that day and you're ready for it. Um, in a race like this, you don't really have the luxury of time in the beginning. So don't skimp out on your warm-up, especially shorter the race, the longer and bigger the warm-up. I think that's a general good rule of thumb. So just don't be one of those guys standing around. Um, put in the time. If if you've trained like I believe you have, um, you can get away with 10 to 15 minutes of work uh, in the warm-up and still show up and perform. In fact, probably better if you do that. So just don't forget that in a race like this. Get some hard efforts in in your warm-up. Don't go jog to the porta potty and back and da-da-da, and that's the extent of it. It's not going to cut it. Not if you give a shit about your performance. Yeah. Yeah, we both said the same thing to each other this weekend is that one of our biggest worries is from like 200 meters to 600 meters of the first of the start of the race. After the race got out hot, when it's settled in, but it's not settled, it's still fast. Getting three, four minutes in and being like, <gasps> just dead. And that is a reality for most people. How many times do you hear, I don't really loosen up and feel good until after the first mile or two? Those are the people that aren't warming up properly. Yeah. And there's no time for that in the rest of the race. After the first mile or two, you're finishing. So that's yeah. it. Like your race is done. So the same people should look at it and say, how many times does my first rep of an interval workout feel like crap? And then I get rolling to my second or third rep. Well, your job then is to know your body and get the first rep out of the way in your warm up. The older I get, not that I'm old, the more and more that rings true. If you're one of those late 30s, 40s, 50s athletes, you must, I'm going to say it's a requirement to work hard in your warm up. When I was younger, I could get away with it, I feel like. But I mean, after every workout, quality workout we do, Bracken, I don't know about you, but it's always now taken me a rep or two before I really settle in. I did a workout last, for example, I'll just spit out some times here. I did four by four by 400 meters last week. Just it's the first time I've touched faster than race pace work. <laughs> See if that gamble pays off. My first set of four, I averaged like 75 seconds for my quarters which is not good for me. And I was working hard and thinking like, oh man, my fitness is not where it needs to be. The second set of four, I averaged 73. The third set of four, I averaged 71. And the last set of four, I averaged 69 to 70. Um, and if I had stopped, if that was race day in my first set of four, I don't think I would have been ready for the sting of the race off the start. So that taught me right there. And then mm -hmm. again, in my quality workout Saturday, my first rep, I was like, oh boy, I'm in over my head. And then I settled in. So I've experienced it. Have you experienced that? Oh, 100%. And in this last workout I did, the last treadmill workout, I did one last fast treadmill workout last week with transitions. And Lisa came downstairs and said, are you, are you in your workout already? I said, no, this is, this is my second to last warm-up interval. You know, it, it almost gets blurry. I was doing a 60-second interval as part of my warm-up. Yep. At like 450 pace, trying to like get that first thing out so that I could focus on being in my click, 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 click stride by the time the workout started. Because the first one feels awkward and stiff and weird and painful and sluggish. So I just get that one out of the way now in my warm up. You know, the first time I learned that lesson is my junior year of high school. I um, was running the mile sectionals to go to state. And at the time, the top two went. In my sectional was Chris Zielinski, who went on to be a national champion. And I believe the American 10K record holder for a while. Mm -hmm. And then Brent Ryder, who was the mile champion from the year before. And then there was me. Okay. Only two go, right? I, I wasn't looking good for me, was it, Bracken? No. No. And one's taken out. Chris Walensky's going. <laughs> and Brent Ryder was the state champ running 414. Okay? okay. Point being is my coach said, Kirk, it's not looking good. But 
let's give it a real shot here, Kirk. So what he told me to do is he told me to go get some space in the residential area behind the track. And he said, you're going to run two by 400 meters with 60 seconds rest. And you're going to run it at race pace. You're going to run 65 to 70 seconds. And I want you to know, you're going to run 65, he said. I want you to know exactly what the pace is going to feel like when you start that race. Because the only chance you have is to get out, stay on, and you're probably going to die, but set yourself up to at least try. And I did it. And I remember out there, my legs felt heavy and I was building up lactate. I felt like in those 400 meters. And I was like, this is stupid. I did exactly, I was a good student. I did what I was told. And I thought, there's no way this is going to help. It's just going to tire me out. And my legs felt heavy. And I was like, oh man. When that, then I got to the race. And when that gun went off, I stuck on Brent Ryder till the last, oh, till the last 200 meters. And I lost by a second and a half, took third place. Did not go to state. Don't get me wrong. But I went out in 210, which I've never done in my life, and it felt ready. It's just my fitness wasn't there. And the point being is that that warm-up felt like shit. I thought I'm working too hard before the race. And when that gun went off, I never felt as effortless as I had until this point in that race. So I've experienced that firsthand. Um, And again, those warm-up surges don't need to feel good. They almost always don't. The longer the race, the more I'd rather feel tight at the start line. Like if I had to err on the side of something for a half marathon, a 10 mile or a marathon, I'd almost rather feel underwarmed up and a little stiff. And the shorter the race, the more I'd rather feel a little fatigued and worried at the start line. Yep, exactly. I agree with that. So we're harping on it, but again, you can't win your race in the first half mile or so in Jacksonville, but you can lose it there. So do everything in your possible in, in your power to ensure that you don't lose it before the race even starts. Mm-hmm. Any other race strategies, tactics, insight you want to talk about before we start talking about players? Yeah, I think you have to identify your key points on the map. As soon as the race map comes out, identify the key points. That's When I'm at my best, I have that course map memorized and I know where my go points are. I know where my catch my breath points are. I know where the danger points are. I know at which point I can let it rip because I don't need to be fresh coming into this. And I know when I need to come in with just a percent or two in the tank to make it through something, have that course memorized and identify all those sticking points, including funnel points. If there's a point that looks like this is going to bring the course back together, you know, you don't have to do anything crazy before that. But if there is a a point where you realize this is going to separate the course, I need to be in position prior to it. Yep. Examples of that would be, let's say, picking out Z-Wall and knowing, um, I'm my heart rate will lower on Z wall. So if I know Z wall is coming up, I can surge that quarter mile coming into it because that's a mini break. It really is. Even if it's only a 10 or 15 second reprieve, um, it's enough. It's like a, a race type fartlek session, right? Mm-hmm. When you go to the spear throw, some would say come into the spear throw with your heart rate coming down. I say, if you're fighting for that top spot and you know what you're doing, you're surging in because that's at least a 10 second break again. And believe it or not, those 10 second breaks add up. So like little things like that are what winners do, what people who are successful do. And then the last thing is what I call the, uh, the you're all in. So you're, you're um, putting out, as I call it, call it your putting out. And putting out is I pick an obstacle and I say, this obstacle is roughly a mile out, let's say in this. And I know after I hit Bender, I'm putting out. Meaning like any matches that are left, because sometimes you miss mile markers, you're in race mode, you don't really know where you're at. But if you have that obstacle in mind, say, I know, I can lay it out and put out, pick your put out obstacle. And then when you hit that put out, that's always what I do. So I always have that one for sure, every race. Absolutely. That point where I look, all right, after this, I empty the tank. Because a classic race comes down to the finish. 
this big sprint build up to the finish. Well, obstacle racing, Spartan in particular, finish has two to three obstacles minimal, minimum, with minimal running in between them and then 20 meters to the finish line, which yeah. means your big build up to the finish starts a half mile to a mile out. If you want a quarter mile sprint to the finish, you have to start that a half mile out to get to the last quarter mile, which is an obstacle gauntlet. So yep. knowing where that empty the tank moment is, is key. Yeah. That put, put out obstacle. Put out. All right. Put out. Anything else before we start talking, talking smack back? No, I think, I think that's enough. If they are ready for the start, if they have the course memorized and they know what percentage they're giving where, you're set. Yeah. Um, I want to start this conversation with the women's field. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't often give enough credence to the women's field and we need to work on that. Um, I honestly don't know who the heck is showing up and I don't know if you do. I think we have a Nicole miracle showing up. We got like an Alexander Walker showing up. Um, we've got, I don't know who else showing up. Uh, do you? We're in the exact same position we were for Jacksonville last year for the women. If, if you're sitting, you're listening to this and you're a woman who thinks you got a crack at putting your name or your foot in the ring, I would book yourself a ticket and get your ass down there. Because I have a feeling the women's field uh, beyond the top five maybe are going to be unrecognizable, uncommon household names. Yeah. Um, you want to you make your mark in this sport? Women, get your butt there. That's what I think. Last year, we saw that anyone who was fit and confident did well. Through that battle between Leanne Wasteny and um, Natalie Miano was yeah. fantastic. And that what people would normally consider the B level and what the B level would consider the heirs to the throne, that that class of woman is going to win. If not win, they're going to win the day in terms of making up the vast majority of the top 10, I believe. That mm. everyone who thinks this is my year, it is. Lindsay's not there. And you could argue that she's the best sloppy condition runner in the sport. Mm-hmm. I don't think Faye's going to be there. I don't think so either. Faye's a very gritty, sloppy condition runner. So you have these people now who aren't there. This is like, this is the moment. This is the, I told you so. You see it all the time in social media posts. How come you guys are sleeping on Lauren or you guys are sleeping on Leanne or there's all these names out there on Ashley Heller. These people don't get enough love. You're right. But there's only so many places at the big dog table. Mm-hmm. Well, all the chairs are open right now. We got one showing up and that's Nicole. Nicole has her spot. Nicole is queen of the throne. If Nicole gets beat, it will be, um, that would be a disappointment on a number of levels, probably for her. But other than that, as far as cream of the crop above the rest, maybe I'm not thinking this through. I don't have anybody. No. And and it's not that we disrespect them. It's that we believe in the next crowd. Like that next wave, I think is not significantly behind our traditional podium finishers, especially coming off of this off season. I would say that the women's field, a female division has been hungrier this off season than the, than the men's division has been. Mm-hmm. And so I expect to see a bunch of names of the people who all their friends are always like, why, why don't they get love? Why don't they get love? They're about to get it. That's what I expect to happen. I think it's Nicole and everyone else. I think I put Alex Walker as my next up there. I think she's going to be right in there. This is what I want to see at Alex Walker. I want to see, you know, she had a really good performance at Tahoe the last time we had our world champs, took fifth place um, due to both her fitness and her obstacle proficiency. But I do think, I know Alex, you listen to this. I do think some people not wrote it off, but said, well, you know, if the obstacles were dry and there wasn't such a failure rate, she would have been further back. And and I'm secretly rooting for Alex to 
um, prove everybody that says that, like we all find our fuel, right? Go show them on a flat, fast course that that wasn't a fluke. Yeah. And so I'd like to see her podium. Natalie Miano took third last and she's coming off injury, but she is now doing workouts again. I don't see any reason she's not going from what I understand. I think she's a little behind where she wants to be, but Hey, she's reigning on the podium. Leanne Wasteny was fourth last year. We don't see much from her on social media. She's kind of a, a mystery. Um, but if she shows up, I would put Natalie, Leanne, Nicole, Alex. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody who's going to be offended and then just use that as fuel to show up on the yeah. podium. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole crowd of those. We can name everyone because there's, I think there's 15 girls that could all be Leanne or be Ashley or be what, what Faye was going to do down there. I, I see a lot that can do that. I don't think this is the open up and go course that instantly separates the vets from the, the up and coming. I think this mashes everybody together. It's a race for second and third though. If you're looking at the podium, yeah. granted any, granted any silly errors. Um, and you got a bunch of people who showed up last year, like a Lily Elkin, or I think it was like an, was it maybe like an Ashley O'Hare or somebody? There was a couple of other names on there um, that uh, we never saw before. So they've been trading for a whole year. Yeah. And then we could, we could see Bailey. We could see Renee. We could see, um, who else am I thinking of? One of Nicole's buddies. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but why am I forgetting her name? Blanking on names, but we could have some high end trail runners come over. There's rumors that Andy Wacker is going to do some Spartan racing this year. We, you know, those type of people who come on over and throw their hat in the ring. It's not a great first time race, but for people who have done it before, but aren't household names in our sport yet, they just add to the mix. Yeah. I'm equally as excited to watch the women's race play out as the men's only because of the mystery factor there. And, and, and I really think those up and comers last year didn't get their chance because this, the rug got pulled out from underneath us. And they have to be the hungriest of them all. Like saying, yeah. oh, shit, I was top 10 at a U.S. National Series race and then had no opportunity to back it up for the rest of the year. I know all those women have been thinking about that. And there were a lot of unfamiliar names in that top 10 last year. So, yeah, all the female Mark Gaudettes, the people we've talked about, like Mark, last year was supposed to be your year mm-hmm. and you didn't get a chance. Well, there is the female counterpart to every one of those guys that had that same thought, except they're less known because the guys are more outspoken on social media. Exactly. Um, let's move to the men. Where do you even start, brother? It's the same thing, but with known commodities. It's this. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. You have VJ, who most people expect is the man to beat. You have Ryan Kempson, who has proven that he can consistently contend on these type of courses. You have Ryan Woods, who can never be counted out. And then you have about 15 guys who all believe that they're the next best person. Mm-hmm. And they're vocal about it. Yeah. On the girl side, it's like, yeah, I, I really wish that I would get some respect, you know, but it's my friend saying it for me. On the guy side, it's like, I'm showing up to make the podium because no one respects me. You know, they're, it's the same situation, except they believe it and they shout about it. I will say that the gaps on the men's side are going to be significantly smaller. Mm-hmm. Incremental differences are going to uh, probably lead to large placement discrepancies. Everything good over there, Bracken? Car horn going off. Okay. Wanted to make sure it wasn't mine. So, and and I get this sense, like Ryan uh, Kent made a comment on the like list of people to watch thing. And he said that 2021 list of names hits differently. Maybe implying that it looks a little watered down or it looks a little lackluster. I would argue because we don't have a Ryan Atkins there. Is, is, is that why? Um, and I don't know what he meant by that at all. And I, I got a lot of admiration for Kent. So, but um, really, if you look at this, like 
VJ's as good as it gets. Kempson is as good as it gets. Woodsy is as good as it gets because Kent and Atkins aren't there. And Killian is supposedly going, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Like he was left. The former world champ was left off the list of who can take first place. What is up Spartans butthole, right? So like all of these things, uh, point being is like, this is a race. This is a real race. And I would argue VJ at his best is probably going to beat an Atkins at his best on a flat course right now. Anyways, Kempson's proven to do it before woods. I mean, all these players, like this is not a watered down feel. This list, in my opinion, doesn't hit differently other than just not seeing those names on it. But as far as the front end, I do not see this being watered down at all. In fact, without those guys there, I think it might still be won by somebody else. Anyways. Would anyone be shocked if Mark Godet wins? Nope. Would anyone be shocked if Mark Botris wins? Nope. Would anyone be shocked if VJ, Leon, Woods, Kempson, would anyone be shocked if any of those guys win? Nope. Would anyone be really that shocked if Nick Riker went top three? Nope. If you went top three? Nope. What if I went top three? Nope. No, so there's a whole list. There's a there's a list of guys, the first five that could be anywhere from first through fifth place. You know, that who has a chance to realistically, if there were Vegas lines for the win, the winners group would be Ryan Woods, Ryan Kempson, VJ, and who else would you put in there? Mark um, Botris. Those would probably be the four best on paper. And then you would have this group of 15 guys that could take anywhere from second to 10th, and no one would bat an eye. You know what, though? And I want to speak to our own credibility, and I want to speak to the other people who are in our boats right now. Bracken, have you ever beat Ryan Atkins? Yeah. Me too. Have you ever beat Ryan Woods? Yep. Me too. Have you ever beat Ryan Kempson? Yep. Me too. Have you ever beat Mark Gaudet? Yep. Me too. Have you ever beat Nick Riker? Yeah. Me too. Okay. Point I'm making here. The one guy I've never beat yet. <laughs> I've had two sprint finishes with VJ Jones. I've never beat that fucking kid. Okay. Anyways, we've, we are in that, that B group, let's say, in people's eyes. Christ, we might be in the C group according to what, you know, some people think. Yeah. Yet we have beaten... Have you beat Killian? Yes. Yeah. I've beaten all of these people in front of me in races, and I beat some of them, most of them, multiple, multiple times. Yeah. And yet we are here, not on the top 10 list, with a bunch of other people in the same boat. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, man. Talk about a testament to the men's field. Can you say it has an, and if you look at the women's field, not like I'm, 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 I don't know what point I'm making, but like, has Alexandra Walker ever beaten Nicole Miracle? Has Natalie Miano ever beaten Nicole Miracle? Has, Leanne Wason, he ever beat Nicole Miracle? Not in any races that I can think of. Like, there are some untouchable, like, I feel like she's more untouchable on the men's side. I disagree with that. Yeah. It's the way that you love to see a sport progress. And and because the women's sport is three to four years behind the men's, historically, just looking at gap between first and second, first and 10th, Jack Bauer can prove that they're three to four years behind the men's sport because it started growing later. The men's sport is three to four years ahead, and they're heading towards the evolution that you want every sport to have, which is there are guys who at are when it's their best day, they really shouldn't lose, but they lose all the time. And that's how, I mean, you look at triathlon, you look at track, you look at road racing. There are guys who are head and shoulders and women, head and shoulders above everyone else, but they're still touchable. But then everyone else cycles through all the other places. Mm. everyone's always a contender, but very rarely are things just waiting. It takes the the bolts, the Kipchogis, you know, the crazy once in a generation talents to go years in between losses. And so it's a beautiful thing to watch. Right. And predictions are almost futile. 
I think the the point I'm making, and, and I'm actually talking to the Nick Rikers of the world. I'm talking to the Mark Goddetts. I'm talking to myself. Rich Ryan, we haven't said. R- Rich Ryan, who's probably oof, one of, if not the fastest guy in the field alongside Mark Goddett. Um, I'm talking to us. I'm talking to us. I have beaten all of these players before. You've beaten all these players before. These people, it is possible. I won't be surprised if we see a name on the in the on the podium that we have not seen in a U.S. National Series race before. I just don't know who it's going to be. Yeah. And and two two things I can't quite sort out just watching the lead up. I've been spending less and less time on social media these days, but I uh, I kind of just did a little perusing. And the two people that I can't quite figure out what's going on with right now is Botchers. Mark Botchers um, just ran a hundred k. It's going to be last weekend. He's going to be two weeks removed from a hundred k. Is he showing up? First of all, which it sounds like he is. Um, no way is that guy going to be at his best. You cannot recover from 100K in two weeks on a cellular level. It is impossible. Well, I'm telling you, Ryan Atkin. <laughs> I still don't think so. I still think like Mark Botris, I hope you go and do well. But I, I can't imagine when push comes to shove, he's going to have one less gear. Mm-hmm. And then looking at Johnny Luna Lima, who has said he's going to be coming. He just put in like 15,000 feet of vert out in in San Jose, California with his girlfriend Bailey this last week. They ran a huge week this last week with tons of miles and tons of vert. And I'm just wondering if he actually going to be showing up. Would anyone be surprised if he doesn't show up? No. Would anyone be surprised if he wins? No. <laughs> no. You know, he's added to that list of guys that are 100% legit. I just I I would not be doing that if I was planning to come and race. And so that's just Maybe I maybe he's not now. I'm not sure. But anyways, those are the two nuances that I noticed amongst the men's field where I just can't quite sort it out if they'll be showing up or if they know they're showing up but not going to be at their best or whatever it is. I've said this for two years in a row now, but someone really good is going to take 10th place. That's where the sport's at. Someone really good might take 12th place, not by having a terrible day, just by having everyone else outperform them. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. What do you think of Megiddo? Well, I truly believe that David has never got the respect he deserves in OCR because he was gone before the sport blossomed. 100% agree. I also believe that the super distance is his bread and butter. So I think he'll be in the mix, but I don't, he he doesn't love the out hard type style of racing. He is a rhythm runner Mm. and we will find out real soon on that course if it favors rhythm runners or broken ry- rhythm runners, depending on what they do with the course marking. Mm-hmm. So I think he has as good a shot as any of us, except the two things stacked against him are he hasn't run against most of these guys for some of them ever. And he hasn't done a big stacked race like this in a few years. And he's just been going all in on high rocks since he's bigger. He can still rhythm run, but can he accelerate a lot with the extra mass of muscle he has on him right now? I don't know. I expect him to. I expect him to do well. Um, I hope he does. Especially with his training partner, with with Mark as his training partner, and they've been hitting it real purposefully. Um, I think Rich Ryan is due to just get out of his own way, in a sense where he is a, he is so fantastic, but he always has a little bit of a slip up uh, in most of these big races where he's just never been able to to really show his fitness. I would really like to see him actually put it together. And that's to know, I mean, Rich, you, you know, we, you've been open about that. Like those little slip ups haven't, haven't allowed you to display your fitness. And then the other curiosity that I have, uh, you know, you saw Mark Godette post a 15, 14, 5K he ran yesterday on the treadmill at 0%. Um, is that even going to translate? You know, I, I really admire the, the approach him and, and Magita took with, with an objective measure on the treadmill. There's no variance in weather, all of that. 
but is 1514 on a 0% treadmill um, going to translate to gunk? Or are they going to lose a lot of percentage? So it could be very yeah. interesting to see how this all plays out. Is all I'm saying. I can tell you, I'd love to have that in my check mark, check mark column. <laughs> <laughs> you mean my my sixteen fifty four five k that I ran two months ago? Is you want to have that one in your in your check box? I would even take that one. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you got to look for in the men's field here? The closer the fields get in terms of talent, ability, and performance, the more the basics come back into play. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. So the faster everyone gets, the the higher, the harder everyone's running. And the mm. harder you're running, the more exhausted you are. And at that point, transitions matter. Technique matters. Little slip-ups matter. Tactics come back into play again. And so I think this is almost like a little bit of a rebirth for the sport. We saw it last year. I think it started last year where the age of people having huge overwhelming statistical outliers in their physical capability seems to have faded for now. And now people are back on closer to level playing field, which means now technique and tactics matter again. And so it will not shock me if a young buck comes out here just, you know, full of piss and vinegar and runs people out of the water. If VJ wins by 30 seconds, it won't shock me, but it also won't shock me if you see some KG vets finesse their way right up to the finish line mm -hmm. like a woodsy yeah yeah anyone who's been around the block and has real technique to their game i would still say that he's not a technique racer he's an aerobic capacity racer i think the guys that think their way through it and have to tactically respond to things are generally the ones that aren't leading the race yeah you know you don't have to run tactics when you're better than everyone that's not a slight on him. That's saying he's a monster. So he doesn't have to worry about mind games as much during. But it wouldn't shock me if some people who have done that their whole career bring it out in the gunk in Jacksonville and, and that's a separator. So in pressure, when's the last time people raced? Race day nerves, pressure of this big field, not knowing what's next after this. People are going to miss their spear. People are going to slip off a Z-ball. People are going to make a mistake on something. Pressure forces you to do things you don't normally do. Yeah. Even if it's just running with more tension in your body and burning out some energy without realizing it, you might have 20 contenders. No more than eight can have a good day all at the same time. Yeah. Maybe six. The tighter the pack, the more people get spit out. Just because you have 15 guys that can run 15 flat doesn't mean everyone leans across the line in 15 flat. When moves get made, people crack. And that's going to be the really, really interesting part to see is... The more stallions you fit in the corral, the more likely something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. It's going to be very interesting to play out. I do think if you're looking to po if you're on the men's side, you're looking to podium in the age group. I got a, I got a number of athletes who I think are going to podium in their in their age group. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. I think you got to be looking at 615 pace running in between obstacles on the in the gunky terrain on the on the age group side for the men. I think on the on the elite side, I think you're looking at. 530 pace in the gunk. I think that's safe, aggressive, but fair. If it was a longer race, to tell you the truth, I think you'd almost have to look at running faster. They would let us run a little bit more. Um, just know what to expect uh, for what that is worth. That's the metrics I see being put out there. Uh, if you plan to end up on a, on a podium and 530 pace doesn't sound that fast on the elite side, to be honest, but in that terrain, in that yeah. condition, 530 pace is going to be a good clip to hold for uh, 5K in that, those conditions. The second it hits real ground, it's going to drop to 510 or under. Yeah. Instantly. And for the women's side, I think you take a minute off those, and those are your podium times. Mm -hmm. Maybe less than a minute. 
Yeah. Um, any words of wisdom as, as we wrap this thing up, as we go into, as we lead in the, the folks listening, any words of wisdom, Bracken? You have to be that perfect combination of aggressive and loose. We talked about it before on here, but there is a difference between running six minute pace clenched and six minute relaxed. 100%. One of them allows you to do more. The other one allows you to burn out. And the biggest failure people will have out there is getting caught up in the moment and running hard instead of running fast. Relax is smooth and smooth is fast. All I need to know. Roll right? on the music. Uh, I actually don't, before we roll on the music, I still don't know if I'm going to show up for what okay. that's worth. I'm going to add that into it. Um, you're committed. You're in. I have not booked a ticket yet. I went skiing yesterday and uh, even that lateral push off my ankle swelled up this morning. I was limping out of bed and they happened to come down with some sort of freaking sinus crap. So um, I'm still TBD. Uh, I'm leaning towards going though. I'll, I'll throw that out there and you're all in right Bracken. Yeah. Yeah. My, my ship sailed eight weeks ago. <laughs> I'm come hell or high water. I'm showing up outside of injury. And unfortunately you hit the injury, but everything's booked mentally. I'm, I need to go out there and earn whatever this training block bought me. I need to go, I need to go, go pick it up. Like I already, or I already placed my order. Now you get to go find out what, what it looks like. I like that. You had to pay for your race to get there too, didn't you? Yeah. I don't get a free pass anymore. And I uh, gave away all my race codes. <laughs> you did back in the day. You were real. You gave me a few race codes back in the day. I am, um, you know, with, I know people have been asking me about the ankle and stuff. So I just want to, I just want to answer. I've had a lot of mess. I've had hundreds of messages, which has been super endearing and nice. So thanks for checking in. Um, I am fantastic when I run in a straight line, folks. Like if you look at my Strava, I've been running as soon as I cut or if any uneven terrain happens. I mean, I've been running in one direction and even the push off of my skis really pissed off my ankle, um, which leads me to believe like what will happen if I come off a of monkey bars and land on that that leg. What if the sharp turns, you know how it is. There's roots underneath that mud. I tripped in the sand, in the sandbag. I'm just trying to sort out benefit versus cost. I don't know what I want to do there yet. So I'm literally going to wait till like Wednesday to decide, but it is trending the right direction. If this was a road race, if this was a track race, I'm going to show up and do it. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, I'm just trying to balance it out. I might need some, I might make a off, uh, off mic call to old man Bracken Cracker on Wednesday and talk this one out off mic. But so, so you can expect that Bracken. Oh, I can't tell you how many Thursday night flights I've bought throughout my career. Have you really? Because I've never done this last minute. I have no flight. I have no hotel. I have nothing. I would say more than 50% of my races that I've done have been, eh, maybe right around 50 have been purchased Wednesday or later. And how those races usually go for you. I mean, that's my, I'm a, I respond well to that. It gets me fired up right away and I ride high right in and I go out there with no expectations and I like throwing down. When it doesn't work is then you kick yourself for having done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still TBD though. So I thought I'd let people know that. And I got a, I got a doctor appointment tomorrow to figure out what's going on. I'm COVID free, but I got, I got this gunk coming out of my nose that nobody wants to see. So <laughs> I got something going on. Regardless, I'm pumped to see all the running public t-shirts down at the race. Me too. I hope to see you all there. I really do. I am still leaning towards going. I can't wait. If you're if you're there and you have a t-shirt, rep it. You know, warm our hearts. Man, if I see one on course, it's going to be impossible to take my foot off the gas. That's right, baby. That's right. I got nothing else to add other than, well, hopefully see you there. It's race week. Get your mind right.